Yes, welcome to the Not The Top 20 podcast, the Monday pod, sponsored by Betfair. It's me, Ali Maxwell. It's him, George Ellick. We're talking all things EFL. It's crunch time in the EFL season. Some big results over the weekend. And George Ellick is here to talk us through it. George, how are you doing? I'm here to talk us through it. Is that the, That's the way this episode is going. This is, this is my episode. It's like in um, Ted Lasso, when for two series, you've got the Ted Lasso show where every episode is about Ted Lasso. And then suddenly there's just an episode where it's all about Coach Beard. That's actually a very good analogy for what's happening this week. But the only annoying thing about that is that suggests that I'm the sidekick. Well, that's why I like that analogy, if I'm mm. honest. Tough weekend here. Bit of COVID action for me, first time. Yeah, it was pretty bleak at times, but I feel like I've just about come back through the other side. So uh, no chance of missing this pod, that's for sure. But I'm going to have to take a, a bit of a back seat. You're going to be leading this one. I spent the whole weekend on the sofa and I watched loads of football, all of Gillette Soccer Saturday, and I know all of the results. I have to admit, and some of you who've had COVID might know this, my brain capacity was incredibly low. I was really struggling to uh, stay on top of things and I was taking a lot of naps. Thankfully, George was on quest from the top with Jamie Mackey and Colin Murray. So let's begin in the championship, George. The biggest game of the weekend looked like Huddersfield against Bournemouth. It was third hosting second. Now, there was three points between the teams at the start of the weekend, with Bournemouth having three games in hand over Huddersfield. So for anything really lively to happen from now on to the end of the season, it felt like Huddersfield needed to win. There's now six points between the two sides. And despite many question marks over Scott Parker's Bournemouth recently, little doubt in the end, I think, over who the better side was on the day, who the better side is overall, and who will finish second to Fulham. Yeah, uh, this is my episode. You, you, you started it by uh, promoting Bournemouth. And, and I think you're probably right to do so. Um, kind of before talking about the game itself, it was interesting to note how, you know, by us as well and by the wider media and anyone covering this game, this was um, the chance for Bournemouth to really um, push themselves away from their nearest challenger in Huddersfield, even though before the game, uh, the odds suggested that Sheffield United were the most likely team to finish uh, second um, behind Bournemouth rather than Huddersfield. Uh, But in this game, I think we saw two things. We saw firstly how uh, much better Bournemouth are than, than Huddersfield. And we also saw that Huddersfield for all of their incredible form that's got them to this position, um, you know, we, we've often said over the past few weeks that their position in third place was a bit of a false position because of the amount of games that they played. And I think this was the uh, the awakening that actually, rather than trying to chase down Bournemouth, what Huddersfield have to do between now and the end of the season is ensure they get enough points to finish in the top six because they are by no means a lock there. They played the most games of anyone, them and Blackburn, uh, in that top kind of eight or nine who are all chasing it down. Um, have both played 39 games. You've got Forrest who played 36, Barrow who played 37, uh, and then plenty of teams who played 38. And Huddersfield sitting on 63 points at the moment. Only four points clear of Middlesbrough. Um, I would by no means say that they are destined to, to absolutely finish in the top six. And, and we saw... As I say, that level of superiority uh, played out here. From what I saw, George, it felt like Dominic Solanke in particular was getting a lot of love for his display. Understandably so. He was uh, he, he made the first goal um, for Jaden Anthony. Uh, he made the second goal for Jefferson Lerma uh, from the rebound. And then the third goal, which was one of the goals of the day in the EFL. A brilliant team move with, with Lerma carrying the ball through midfield, uh, ending up with... A cross in the box from Billing and a, and a very sexy finish from Solanke, a little flick into the into the far post as well. Um, Colin Murray made the point on Saturday correctly that 
if it wasn't for Alexander Mitrovic, uh, I think we'd be talking a lot more about Dominic Solanke this season. Uh, he's having one of those seasons where he is the striker who has scored 23 goals in the league with still plenty of games left. It wouldn't be a massive surprise given the way that Bournemouth are playing at the moment if he hit or if he got close to 30 goals, which we don't see many players do. Um, I think for Bournemouth's hierarchy and Bournemouth fans, they're probably quite happy that Mitrovic is having the the season that he's having because it's going to take some of the shine away from Solanke. Although given the amount of money they paid for him, I think any club who's interested in his services next season would have to massively overpay for for his services. But either way, yeah, Bournemouth were very good. I've said a few times on the betting show and on um, this Monday podcast that it's felt in the last few weeks like Bournemouth are, are somewhat limping over the line, you know, playing well and getting wins, but also at times really stumbling out results such as the one all draw against Reading. But here they turned up and, and they battered a side who um, thought that they were going to have a chance to to reel them in. So, um, yeah, as you say, it looks now like Bournemouth should be promoted. The only thing I would say is we've seen in recent weeks, you know, the Reading result is one, the Peterborough result is another they're not consistent. I mean, they might be consistent in the way that they pick up um, points, but in terms of their performance levels, we're seeing big peaks and troughs in terms of, of, of the performances they're putting in almost week to week. And therefore, unlike some other sides, I would say there is a very slight possibility that we could see um, something of a slump, uh, which would see other teams come back into it. But they've got too much quality, I think, really, for that to be the case. It, it's, you know, all the cliches, as I said on Quest, they've got one foot in the Premier League. They've got one hand on the second place trophy that doesn't exist. But um, yeah, realistically, it's going to be, you know, Sheffield United, Borough, Huddersfield, Luton. These sides can probably do whatever they want, but it's going to be up to Bournemouth whether or not they get their promotion. I don't think they've got a hand free to put on half of a trophy because they've got so many games in hand. Clever. Mm. Uh, Games in hand over all the teams around them. Such a strong position. Big win, I think, for Scott Parker in particular here because... You know, three home games against teams in the bottom four before this, and they won just one of them in front of expectant home crowds. And certainly, you know, using social media as your barometer is not always the best thing. But I saw a lot, <laughs> a lot of questioning of Parker, his tactics, the way that he was managing the squad of players from Bournemouth fans, which, you know, as you say, it's a bit of a peculiar situation that they are in such a strong position. There's a possibility that Bournemouth could be promoted to the Premier League with a manager that many of their fans aren't convinced has got the most out of their squad, which is a pretty peculiar situation. And, and not to jump too hard in on Scott Parker, because he masterminded an excellent win here. I feel like the last time that happened was probably Scott Parker's Fulham side, who won promotion two yeah. years ago through the playoffs. So, interesting situation, but no doubt that, uh, well, no doubt in my mind anyway, that we won't be covering Bournemouth again next year. Uh, it meant that Huddersfield actually dropped to fourth rather than getting any closer to Bournemouth in second. George Luton Town are our third place team now in the championship. Three points, three goals at Hull. Three one winners. What was the story here? Dominance, again. Um, They were by far the better side. Hull seemed to be a team at the moment who undershot Arvaladze um, 75% of the time, are very, very poor and seemed to manage to find a way to to kind of get enough points to distance themselves from anything too uh, disastrous. But here... I mean, the XG will tell a different story. It shows 1.43, 1.44, but it's a proper game state game where until um, Luton were were basically clear in the match, Hull had very little um, by way of response. There were so many Luton chances early on in the game before uh, Elijah Adebayo 
scored the opening goal after just nine minutes. It kind of felt like the game where um, where Luton were basically knocking on the door and it was a matter of time until it was going to happen. And then it did a really bad mistake from McLaughlin uh, for the second goal uh, with Adebayo nicking the ball off him and then laying it off to Cornick, who, who's, who kind of placed it home. And, and it did feel like the kind of goal that sums up this Luton side. You know, they are so aggressive in terms of what they do off the ball, um, harrying to opposition, probably making up for their... I don't want to say lack of quality, but when you look at their team, I mean, this is now when you look at Luton's Luton side and you look at where their budget is placed. I know it's uh, it's believed by many that they have the, the lowest budget in in the championship. Um, the job that Nathan Jones is doing to get them there, even though there are plenty of, of people's dark horses before the season started, um, you know, they were that classic dark horse where, you know, I think they ended up being Bay by the time the season started. Um, it's, I don't think anyone necessarily could have predicted that they were going to be the team who were were closest to the top two come come the end of March. Um, James Breeze free kick was, as somebody who doesn't necessarily love free kick goals, uh, it was kind of as good a, a free kick as you're going to see given the position. Um, it was the the classic too close um, where he had just outside the box with a wall in front of him, and rather than just managing to get it over and dip it on, sorry, dip it over the wall get it up and down. He manages to almost get it kissing the underside of the bar still on an upward trajectory whilst also getting it over the, the wall. Uh, an unbelievable strike. Not somebody who's necessarily known for his um, his free kick ability, uh, but uh, an amazing effort. And when you consider the issues they've got at the back, you know, barely, well, no recognised centre-back. They had Peter Chioso in the middle uh, of the back three with, with James Brew on the right and, uh, and Dan Potts on the left-hand side effectively three fullbacks and then they've done it twice now it you know and it doesn't seem to be impacting the way they play at all I think that's almost the biggest credit you can give Nathan Jones is when you've got a team who are playing so well and are so effective that effectively personnel doesn't really matter <laughs> you can just fling on three fullbacks to play in a back three and still look very solid um you know they were a Tom Eves 92nd minute goal away from from getting back to black clean, clean sheets with those um, with those guys. It's it's unbelievable what they're doing, and I guess the frustration for Luton now is that you know they've done this, but realistically they're probably going to fall just short of being able to to, to get into that top two. Um, but as I said with, with Huddersfield, I think the it's almost quite a difficult position to be in at the moment, that third place in the championship because naturally you're going to be looking up and wondering if you can if Bournemouth can slip up whereas realistically you're far far closer to 10th than you are to second uh, so you've got to be very careful seven wins in their last 10 uh, I just can't get my head around how they're continuing to do that with a, a back three without any of their uh, four centre-backs that they have really in the squad I think uh, that's how you know that your your patterns of play your principles of play rather are absolutely established and concrete within your squad which is not to be sniffed at um now we move into a group of games george that really impacted both the playoff picture and the relegation battle um, no more so probably than reading one blackburn nil uh, from a reading perspective this was a massive massive three points it extended their gap uh, between themselves and the relegation places and it feels like just when things are getting desperate too desperate george at reading just when things are getting a little bit too hysterical they whip out a timely win they did so here did they deserve it against Rovers oh that's a difficult question uh, we had this up on the big screen on Saturday and both Jamie Mackie and, and Colin were convinced that they did I mean I, I wasn't so sure I mean what I will say is that Josh Lawrence goal is 
I mean, a, a goal worthy of winning a game. Um, I mean, it sums up Blackburn's luck at the moment. Josh Lauren, not a player who's necessarily renowned for stroking the ball home from from the best part of 30 yards. Um, but the way he hits it is absolute filth. Um, yeah, I liked how Jamie Mackey said that he felt it in. Um, but that just shows, you know, he basically just strokes the ball um, with the inside of his foot rather than leathering it with his laces uh, into the top right-hand corner. Um an unbelievable strike, and as I say, you know that that bit of quality is is, is what Reading have needed um, a fair bit over the last few weeks. But for Blackburn, I mean, Blackburn were abysmal first half. I should say that you know they they did not deserve to go into halftime level, uh, but in the second half they did. Uh, they, they were much better. Um, they created opportunities. Sam Gallagher. The hapless Sam Gallagher. Um, it, it's it's impossible to think of someone who's, you know, at a time where Blackburn needed him to step up. In the absence of Ben Britton Diaz, he has totally fluffed his lines um, both over the last few weeks and, and then again on this day. You know, apart from the goal against Middlesbrough, which at the time looked so important, um, the ball was played into him and, and he effectively fell over with the goal at his mercy. There was an, an interesting one, and, and I, I clearly got this wrong. So apologies to Reading fans for this um, on Saturday, where he was he was quite clearly wrestled to the ground at one nil, Gallagher. And I thought that he had been given a foul away, but a Reading fan messaged me to say that actually the ref had blown before the incident to to, to get the corner to be retaken. Um, I need to rewatch it. I'm not entirely sure what happened there. But again, if you're Tony Mowbray, you're looking at this game as being as having three key moments, basically. You've got Gallagher falling over with the goal at his mercy. You've got a player in Josh Lawrence scoring one of the goals of the day from 30 yards. And then you've got a penalty where in any normal eventuality it would have been a foul but for whatever reason the referee has seen something uh, which means that that is, is taking place at a time where the ball it, it isn't alive this is just happening week in week out for Mowbray at the moment uh, and he said as much in, in the interview afterwards you know he he looks this isn't unlike you know we're going to talk about QPR in a second where QPR's performance levels have dipped so much I still feel like Platburner are, are putting in okay performances uh, on a fairly regular basis and are quite often the better team in games and coming away with nothing. Um, they've scored six goals in their last 16 games. Three of those were against Derby. They're still averaging well over an expected goal a game. Um, it, it, it's put hard to put your finger on what exactly has happened. But for Reading, you know, this is the key part. As a neutral, as someone who was pretty excited about the relegation battle uh, a couple of weeks ago, Paul Ince's side getting four points against Bournemouth and Blackburn has basically put an end to it. You know, you even you look at, at Peterborough's 3-1 win over QPR yesterday. You look at the table, you're like, oh, what a massive win. Mm, actually, no, it's not. It's not a massive win. Peterborough is still so far behind because Reading now set the benchmark and, and suddenly it feels like those three teams at the bottom are completely attached. No longer do they have to just probably show mid-table form to get out of it. They probably have to show top six, top four form if they're going to do that, which seems very unlikely. So, you know, Ince, I, I haven't been particularly enamoured by by the way that he's gone about the job so far. I did like it when he came out and said this club have been playing tippy-tappy pretty football for the last couple of years, which I don't think is true. Uh, and they, you know, it's time to, to, to play ugly and all this stuff. I didn't... Particularly after when he first took charge and he said, I watched the last game from the stands and we played like Barcelona at times. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, for, for a guy who was such an incredible footballer and played for some of the best footballing teams in Europe, it was um, yeah a bit of a strange one to hear. But whatever he's done has worked. 
Uh, I also, as did many Reading fans, I wasn't particularly impressed by how Tom Ince seemed to play 90 minutes, regardless of, of of the situation. The only time he was taken off was an injury time when they were 2-1 up. I think Paul was hoping for a standing ovation for his son, but then he goes and scores a late goal against Bournemouth. And, you know, for the important thing in, in terms of what we do is is to sometimes hold your hands up and say fair play. And, and I think with Paul Ince and the job that he's done there, especially those in the last week, uh, it's hard to to get away from the fact that his influence and what he's done at Reading is probably going to end up um, meaning that, that they're going to be safe this season, which is which is the job that he was brought in to do. Whether that long term means that Paul Ince is going to be manager of Reading next season, and if that's a good thing for the club, it is still up in the air. But but certainly, you know, big credit to them, and um, I think Reading fans can now probably um, you know the amount of points they need to get over the line. It's just it's. It's all going to come down to the game um, in a couple of weekends' time, where where they go to Barnsley. Um, you know, if Barnsley can get three points there, then obviously things are going to look a bit different. But but as it's at the moment, they've given themselves a, a very very good chance. I watched the QPR Peterborough game on Sunday, and I felt like QPR should have been probably two ahead. Um, mm. they, they certainly had some decent opportunities before they took the lead, and and overall they they were comfortably the better side in the first half. Peterborough equalising just in injury time in the first half and I mean it's one of those where how much how much do you weight the credit slash the criticism how much do you weight the credit of Grant McCann and Peterborough for coming out in the second half and being 3-1 up within 10 minutes through a Clark Harris penalty and a a brilliant Jack Marriott goal how much do you criticise QPR the home team expected to win um, well above the opposition in the league table and with an expectant crowd looking to see a comfortable win for not coming out in the second half and taking control of games and winning it. It's a, it's a hard one to measure. As you say, it's great for Peterborough. It means they've beaten QPR three times this season. I think they've only won eight games in all competitions, three of them against QPR. But it does more so than exciting and uh, valuable for, for Peterborough in terms of staying up. Uh, of course it is, but it also felt particularly damaging for QPR, George, and, and the fans certainly venting their frustration at various parts of uh, the team's performance and Warburton's management. Yeah, and, and there are parallels to be drawn here between Mowbray and Warburton, um, where I know that certain QPR fans won't like to hear it, but we're, we're in proper victim of their own success territory here. Um, and, and you know, when I looked at the betting markets for, um, the, for promotion a few weeks ago, it, it felt like there was a very clear three. It was Bournemouth, Blackburn and QPR. So of course QPR and Blackburn aren't blameless in the fact that they've gone, you know, that the managers aren't blameless in the fact that they've gone from being genuine challengers for automatic promotion to now looking, you know, unlikely to get into the top six. Um, but at the same time, you've got to have some credit in the bank. And you've got to remember that Mark Warburton is the manager who, with the squad that in my eyes, um is is basically second off in most games against other top eight top nine teams he's the person that's got you close to that and by you know getting frustrated with him and and even demanding someone else to be in charge is a a big big risk Uh, I think he is a good manager and the way they play is good but at the same time performances and results unlike Blackburn where I'm you know pretty confident that Blackburn uh, under Mowbray even between now and the end of the season things will turn with QPR it feels like things have have unraveled very quickly Um, as you say they were unlucky not to be 2-0 up in the game that would have made a massive difference I think the issues they've had in goal um, do play a big part. I think we, we often see that teams who don't have a regular goalkeeper are defensively unsound. 
Um, Kieran Westwood drafted in an emergency deal in midweek after David Marshall was drafted in in January uh, with Senny Dieng and and and, um, and Marshall now both injured. Uh, Westwood in the sticks for the first time today. You know, obviously he's a he's a a very experienced goalkeeper, but let's realistically look at it. You know, his last club was Sheffield Wednesday, who got relegated to League One, uh, and he's been without a club for the rest of the season. It's it's going to be difficult for him to 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 be uh, of the level needed for a side who wants to get into the into the into the Premier League. Even though you know not not much was his fault here. Uh, Dion Sanderson probably looked the defensive um, weak link here, a player who who we like a lot, but. You know, generally it's been uh, Barbe, um, Dan and Dickey, the back three, which meant that Dickey had to shift into the middle, um, where he probably isn't quite as as suited given his ball playing exploits and his willingness to get forward. Um, you know, that there are plenty of issues here with with QPR, and that you know this is another case of 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 them coming up at home against the side bottom of the league and and coming off second best and, and probably deserving to lose in the end. A, a brilliant third goal from Jack Marriott, um, but for Posh. Things do look like they're improving under Grant McCann. Um, and I think if you're a Peterborough fan, you're probably thinking, OK, uh, I feel more confident about our chances of League One next season than I did a couple of weeks ago. No doubt about that. They look so unimaginative, QPR, in the final third once they were two goals down. My whole memory of that game and Albert Adoma just slinging in crosses to no one, you know, that sort of drift over everyone and mm. go out for a throw on the other side. Very frustrating afternoon at Loftus Road. Uh, the other game that impacted the bottom was, well, Barnsley's defeat away at Sheffield United. They lost 2-0. Uh, Reading's win means there's now back to five points, the gap between the two sides. So still a lot for Barnsley to do. They are the side closest to Reading at this point. Now, they did lose 2-0, George, and I want to know about the Sheffield United side of this because just winning any game with the amount of injuries they have is pretty impressive at the moment. But on the Barnsley side of things, you tweeted at half-time, and I think it was 0-0. Barnsley, the better side at Bramall Lane. Hard not to be excited by what Poya Asbagi is doing there at the moment, probably in League One club's interest that they stay up. Obviously, from that point on, things didn't go the way that, that maybe it looked like they were going, uh, but it sounds like you're pretty impressed with what you saw despite defeat. Well, I mean, for the first 10 minutes of the second half, they did again. Um, yeah, it was... And Sheffield United fans uh, and, you know, the local press were, were, were in agreement with me where... That first half was was horrendous from Sheffield United. You had their first team coach Jack Lester coming out before the game, which we have to remember is a is a derby. Uh, there's a rivalry between these two sides, uh, a Yorkshire derby, and uh, and you know he asked for an energetic performance. Um, you know clearly Sheffield United have had a a massive fixture backlog and they've been playing pretty much every game day possible over the last few weeks, and and it seems to be showing in their performances. But they were so poor first half. Um, you know Wes Fodringham made a, a really big save from, uh, from Wolf in the in the first half, a very good save as well. And it felt like Barnsley were, were quite clearly the more likely team to score. And you kind of expected a reaction in the second half. And I guess, you know, by the scoreline, we got it. Um, but first 10 minutes again in the second half, Barnsley were well on top. Um, and Sheffield United struggled to create much at all. Um, you know, Jack Robinson had a shot in the first half. Connor Harrahan closed down. Collins in goal for for Barnsley and one of those kind of ricochets that could go anywhere and end up going out for a throw. But they, they offered very little and, and very little control in the game either. Um, but that changed very quickly with a, a ball in the box. Collins came and he probably shouldn't have done. And, and Sanderberger, after Sheffield United had precious little in the game, was there at the back post to tap in. Um, and it wasn't necessarily uh, often, I think, with these games where the better side are, are second off but end up winning the game. It's, it's moments of just individual sheer quality that do it. But this wasn't even that. It was just... A couple of, of poor defensive moments um, from Barnsley. Uh, Morgan Gibbs-White scoring a, a lovely second goal, rounding the keeper and slotting in. Um, you know, what do I take out of this game? 
well that Barnsley are, 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 are so much better now than they were previously um that they certainly have the the tools to beat Reading in that in that titanic relegation clash in a couple of weeks um and that Sheffield United are still kind of scrambling around a little bit for their form having had such a blistering good time but you know um where they are now uh, it's probably going to be a case of 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 looking to carry some kind of form into the um into the into the playoffs if they can't catch Bournemouth which we don't think they can but for Sheffield United I think the international break is coming at a, at a very very important time uh, and not ideal that a few of their players will be going on international duty of course um, but they need a break uh, and you know those at the club seem to be saying as much as well Elsewhere Stoke beat Millwall 2-0 uh, Gary Rowett returning to Stoke where he had a go, didn't he, as manager and like many others failed to achieve what was asked of him. Um, Nathan Jones, another one on that front and dare I say it, Michael O'Neill uh, in danger of becoming the next one. It was a big, big win for him after they've been sliding down the table for months now. A 2-0 home win, mm. uh, George Millwall off the back of an incredible display in, in thumping Huddersfield in midweek. Uh, a game too far for, for them that they're another team with a lot of injury problems, a case of, of Stoke being too good on the day. How did this one play out? Well, I just think Millwall's whole attitude away from home um, probably has to change if they're going to get into the uh, into the playoffs. Look, I mean, the, the first thing to point out is you mentioned that the result against Huddersfield, which was so important, unbelievably frustrating for them to have Benica Fobe unable to play here. Um, you know, he's he's someone who, who uh, was so good in midweek and has been so impressive. And, and for them... Um, they'd have liked to have been able to take him into this game, but unavailable, of course. So, uh, so he didn't play. And then on loan from Stoke for anyone who hasn't made that leap. And then you know they missed a penalty at two 0 which I think was their first shot on target. Jed um, missing a pen, but but realistically Stoke with good value for this win today. Um, Lewis Baker showing his quality again with the assist for for Jacob Brown's first. Uh, you know from of all the, the Stoke. Central midfield signings. Uh, you know, we saw Vrancic come in the summer that I thought would be a great signing. He's disappointed. Saw Romain Sawyers come in, who I thought would be a great signing. He's disappointed. Uh, Lewis Baker looks to me like the one where, whether it's Michael O'Neill or anybody else, um, you know, the team should really be built around him. You know, he's someone whose talent, as from a young age, um, you know, it didn't seem like he was destined to be playing in the in the second tier. Um, you know, it's interesting you mentioned Michael O'Neill there because Stoke feel to me to be the team in the championship where even though they now have nothing to play for, almost the most important person at the club has a lot to play for. You know, he is basically playing for his job. Um, and the difference with Gary Rowett and Nathan Jones, in my eyes, is that the Stoke fans basically couldn't have them, either of them. Um, whether it was the football under under Rowett or you know, the results under Jones and his abrasive personality when, when, when not winning games, rubbing off poorly on them, you know, neither, neither were particularly popular with Michael O'Neill. He seems to still harbor a popularity as a person, which is understandable. He seems like a great bloke to be honest. He seems like the kind of guy you want to be in charge of a football team, but the results aren't great. And I, but I do think the Coates family are pretty, uh, you know, they're, they're not those the kind of owners to make rash rash decisions and I have a sneaky feeling that if you know a few more results like this and I think he might still be in charge next season um but whether or not Stoke fans want that I'm not entirely sure but he's certainly not as unpopular as, as those previously even though the results aren't much better had a couple of draws as well in the champ a derby won at Coventry won early on Saturday included uh, one of my favorite goals of the season from Coventry combination play between O'Hare and Godden was it basically 
three one twos, a one two three four, and and fired in from Godden. Um, but Derby came back into the game, uh, equalising through a Lawrence penalty. Uh, one of my favourite young player performances uh, of this season so far from Malcolm Ebiowe. He started the last four games. He's come in from from nowhere. Someone with quite a lot of uh, youth team pedigree, George, across uh, across the UK, uh, and now like so many other, getting chances probably before his time uh, because of Derby's situation and kind of grabbing them with both hands. He looked incredibly exciting. He looks incredible. Um, you know, he's. I've seen bits of him in, in the highlights over the last couple of weeks, but this was the first time I'd sat down and basically watched 90 minutes of him. And I mean, the the, the thing that strikes me is is you often get um, new young wingers who are very good ball carriers, and you're like, yeah, he's got all the skills. He can basically skin people over and over again. This is exciting. The thing that looks exciting about and you know to an extent Festi Ebersele has been that you know his his direct running his ability to get past players his strength um Ebiobe seems to have that ability you know he's keen we see we see for the penalty issue which I'll mention in a second because I've had some some correspondence with Cov fans um you know he does a reverse flip flap through the legs <laughs> for the for the for the pen a flat flip then yeah flat flip um and that wasn't the only time he, you know, he he was doing this consistently, trying to get around. Um, you know, we should say in the first half, and this is especially for the Coventry fans, he should have been booked for diving, in my point of view, in the first half. He got around the man, I think maybe Bidwell, and um, and kind of threw himself to the ground uh, in a way that, that the referee gave neither a, a a a free kick or a penalty, but I think he should have given a free kick and and, and a booking. But also his his delivery. You know, and his his willingness and and the quality in his shot. Um, you know, he he was taking a free kick from thirty yards, fourth start at age eighteen, which was p- tipped over the bar. He put in a brilliant cross in for Sibley, which hit the post at one all. Um, he seems to be one of those wingers who who can do you both ways. You know, he can either skin you or he can he can look to kill you with the quality of his delivery. And and he can, I'm sure he probably will score goals as well. Um, so I, I agree. It was one of the most exciting performances I've seen. The frustrating thing, as ever, for Derby fans is that he signed a one-year deal in the summer and they can't offer new contracts to players. Um, I'm sure they will get something in terms of compensation, but I would be very, very surprised if there aren't loads of championship, Premier League and European clubs who, even if they weren't before Saturday, are now putting in inquiries to Malcolm Ebiowe. So... I was hoping you know, he might that, be one for the uh, twenty-one under twenty-one for next season, but potentially not. <laughs> might have missed think, the boat I, there. Yeah, possibly. Um, the, the penalty incident. I mean, what we should say first and foremost is that Matt, Matt Gordon's goal was beautiful. Uh, an amazing bit of interplay between him and Callum O'Hare. Cobb uh, switching to the the two ten formation of play away from home, and O'Hare with a, firstly a great bit of hold up play, and then an amazing headed assist. You know, not two things you'd necessarily associate with such a talented player. And then the Godden strike. Uh, the only issue for me is, of course, that uh, Allsop gets a touch, which somewhat ruins the aesthetic of the goal. But um, you know, the commentary said it was one of the goals of the season so far. I wouldn't go that far, but certainly it was uh, a brilliant move for the goal. And then the penalty incident, which. I seem to have upset a few Coventry fans, uh, sadly, because um, I love Cov. Um, hey, don't worry too much. Like you're gonna, if you'd said it with the other way, you'd have got tweets from Derby fans. This is what happens with, with refereeing discussion on Quest and on Pods. I'm just quite intrigued by it because it seems to me, and I watched it back 
yesterday and I watched it again this morning before the pod and it just seems quite obvious to me that that Sheaf makes an attempt to play the ball and I think Lawrence knows what he's doing but he sees Sheaf coming towards him I'd also argue that Lawrence if he's looking for a penalty could probably go down when Callum O'Hare has another kick at him uh, trying to get the ball kind of clips his ankle and that would have been softer but again still probably not a dive he sees Sheaf come Sheaf turns his body and sticks out his right leg to try and play the ball and Lawrence shifts it away from him and there's clearly contact and it's, you know, and I understand that a lot of commentary fans feel like they haven't had the rub of the green over the course of the season. And I, and you know, I'm not as in tune to it as they are. And I can't pretend that I, I'm going to sit here and agree with them um, because I don't know, like I, I'm certainly not someone who feels like the, the decisions, um, you know, sort themselves out over the course of the season. It's perfectly likely that commentary have been on the receiving end of some poor decisions this season. Um, I would also argue that, that they could have given away another penalty with, with Darbo kicking out and, and, missing the ball and kicking Lee Buchanan at the back post as well. So, I mean, it's it seems to me like it's a fairly um, run-of-the-mill Tom Lawrence being quite clever. Certainly not simulation, as, as some seem to think it is. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid I'm sticking to my guns and saying it was it was definitely a penalty and, and it possibly should have been another penalty uh, elsewhere in the game as well. Bristol City 2, West Brom 2 was a thing that happened. Late equaliser from Adam Rich. So far. Getting them a point. Andy Vyben... Uh, he of last week's most underrated forward in the championship question mark discussion with a goal and an assist here. Uh, a point not that helpful for West Brom uh, and Bristol City just desperately trying to get to the end of the season, I think. And uh, would have been a lovely, a lovely, pleasant three points for the home fans. But uh, this club, this team rather, letting them down once more at the death. Uh, Swansea nil, Birmingham nil. Didn't go the way that I thought it was going to go, in that Birmingham, Birmingham absolutely battered, battered Swans here. <laughs> uh, so credit to them, they just didn't score the goal. So that one was uh, a nil-nil draw as well. And before we move on to League One, there were obviously three fixtures that didn't take place this weekend. Um, two of them because Borough and Forest were in FA Cup action. One of them, Preston Blackpool, didn't play, take place because of a policing uh, issue that meant the game couldn't take place uh, on the weekend, which is pretty bizarre, but fair enough. Uh, so let's shout out Middlesbrough and Forest George for their incredible FA Cup campaigns, not only in beating a number of Premier League clubs uh, in previous rounds, but also both teams doing brilliantly against, well, two of the best teams on the planet in Chelsea and Liverpool on the weekend. They have flown the flag for the EFL for the Championship magnificently and certainly put themselves on the radar of a lot of, um, you know, a lot of wider football fans who don't focus too much on the EFL. They have shown just how good good Championship teams can be good championship teams with exciting young players just really buzzing off these two teams performances even if they didn't get the wins massively um i think both did themselves credit i think forest probably have a shout to say they were the better team against liverpool um you look at the changes that jürgen klopp made pretty early in the second half and and it's hard to you know that i think that shows the the difficulty that he thought liverpool were in um you know they they took the game to them so well they didn't sit back they looked to attack at any opportunity um, and we're unlucky not to not not to at least take it to extra time. And also, you know, with Bar- with Borough, they were unfortunate to, to concede so early to Chelsea. Always chasing the game after that, but um, but did themselves credit. And I think the you know as we've seen, uh, there's a tweet doing the rounds as well. The, the Borough fans, <laughs> the Borough fans at two 0 down, still making more noise than, than most teams do when they're ahead. Um, just goes to show that something pretty special is happening um, at both Borough and Forest at the moment. And I, I think even though they didn't get the results they they wanted yesterday, 
I don't think that's going to take the wind out of their sails by any stretch in the in the league campaign. Where they can now both focus on punching their way into the playoff places. Forest are in ninth, uh, but they've got two or three games in hand over almost everyone. They're three points off Blackburn, uh, who are the sixth place team, and, and Borough in seventh. They've also got uh, by dint of this cup run a game or two in hand over all the teams above them, and they're just two points behind Blackburn. So you'd think both teams will have a pretty big say in what happens over the next few months. League One now. Where, I mean, all change at the top, George, not specifically in terms of Wigan and Rotherham having flipped league positions yet, but Wigan now the bookmaker's favourite to win the League One title, which I believe will be the first time for for some time. And it reflects what's happened with these two clubs over the last few weeks. Uh, We'll deal with them together, really. Rotherham losing 3-0 at home to Shrewsbury. Uh, Shrews making it eight goals without reply in a week, having won 5-0 in midweek against Morecambe. I think they'd only won one of 12 uh, before this week. So brilliant week for Salah. But Wigan doing the business against Morecambe. 4-1 winners, which means they're now one point behind Rotherham with two games in hand and certainly look like they have a much better grip on things at this point in time. Now, favourites for the title, Wigan Athletic. Yeah, they're absolutely favourites. Um, the, you know, the interesting thing for me here is that the next time Rotherham play, Wigan would have caught up finally, um, which which means that we're going to finally, you know, <laughs> we're going to... Ha- it's been such a game of catch-up for so long. Uh, we're going to know where we stand in this title race um, and this promotion race because you know all this talk about MK Dons. MK Dons are now four points off Rotherham, having played the same amount of games. Um, this isn't just a, a clear front two anymore. There, there's certainly three in there. I mean, it, it feels unlikely to me that MK Dons could win the league because that would need both Wigan and Rotherham to really fall apart. But but certainly, uh, MK Dons have Rotherham there to be shot at and possibly Wigan as well if the if the games in hand don't don't go too well. Um, with, with Rotherham's game against Shrewsbury, there is a key talking point, which is uh, the red card to Angus McDonald, which is wrong, I think. Um, you know, I, I think maybe his arm makes contact with the back of the head, but there's absolutely no intent there at all. It's not reckless. Uh, it's not cynical. It's him jumping for a header and your arm has to go somewhere. Uh, and even it looks to me like there's probably more of a case for a header in the, in the, in the header just before, uh, which shows how often these kind of things happen. I hate I hate that cliche where people are like, if that's a red card, there are going to be five a game because normally it's not true. But I think in this game, uh, and sorry, in this case, it kind of rings true. Uh, but I, I personally think we, we don't want to focus too much on that because A, Shrewsbury were the better side up to then. Uh, Daniel Udo had scored an incredible goal. And B, Shrewsbury were just the better side on the day. They, you know, they were, they were superb. Um, there were injury concerns for Rathbone and Barlasser before the game. Barlasser came off at halftime, which suggested that maybe they weren't entirely fit. Uh, and I think Rotherham are another side who can now, you know, they, they don't have a game. I don't think it is until the April the 9th, unbelievably. They've got the um, the, the paint pot, um, Papa John's pizza um, vans trophy and uh, and final uh, on the 3rd of April. Um, I mean, I hope Paul Warren doesn't prioritise that personally um, for, for, their, uh, for their benefit because I think a break could do them some good, although I'm sure he will play the strongest team available. Um, but it's... Their form is is pretty troubling. You know, coming into this one, they they beat Lincoln midweek just about, but now in all competitions, that's just one win in their last six. Um, so they are treading water somewhat. And with with MK Dons in the form they're in, if if they don't turn it around, I think they will end up finishing in the playoffs. Um, for for Shrewsbury, you know, it's impressive what they're doing. As you say, they've scored uh, eight 
eight goals in a week, which is not what we've come to expect from Shrewsbury, not just under Steve Cottrell, but, but prior to that as well. Never been a particularly free-scoring side, but they look to be coming to the boil at quite a good time for them to um, to be in quite good shape going into next season. Uh, but for Wigan, it was Wigan doing, doing Wigan things, really. They're just so efficient. Uh, James McLean back from his suspension, uh, played a big part in this one. Um, you know, they they battered a Morecambe side who looked to be completely out of ideas. Um, things have, have got worse rather than better under under Derek Adams in the last couple of weeks. And you know, unless we see something change dramatically, um, we're going to see Morecambe, I think, return to League Two uh, fairly soon. But um, but Wigan, you know, look like to me at the moment, not only are they are they favourites, but between rather between them and Rotherham, they're certainly the team who are operating at a, at a high level. The two games that they have in the league to make up the gap before Rotherham play again in the league are at home to Bolton on Saturday, which should be really spicy, uh, and then home to Aki uh, the midweek after then. So two home games coming up. be really interesting to see uh, how the league table looks on the morning of the 9th when both teams will be in League One action at the same time. Uh, Cambridge nil, MK Dons one. Uh, George, we sort of tracked MK Dons's uh, shedding of the Russell Martin skin uh, and shedding with it some of the ball-playing stuff and shedding with it a lot of the vulnerability at the back stuff. Uh, <laughs> and now they are fully in... It's not even a new skin under Liam Manning. It's like a, it's like a coat of armour because uh, it's another sort of grit-and-grind victory, this one, and another centre-back scoring a big, big goal in O'Hora. feels like him and Darling are on the score sheet every weekend at the moment. Yeah, it does. Um, they were poor here, to be honest. And, and I'm not saying that in a way that's like, I don't want to have a, take anything away from MK and, and Cambridge's home form, uh, despite their away form being, being pretty poor. Cambridge don't drop many points, let alone lose many games um, at home. Uh, if we're looking at their last kind of few, um, they that's their first defeat since at home since April. Sorry, <laughs> that would be incredible. Uh, since the 18th of uh, December, uh, where they lost 1-0 to Rotherham. Since then, they've drawn with Pompey and Shrewsbury and they've beaten Donny, Crew, Accrington and Plymouth. So um, not many teams go to Cambridge and win. And, and I think that it's a case where you're unlikely to go to Cambridge and dominate because of the way that they set up at home. Uh, and MK had to be... Um, pretty dogged here to to keep Cambridge out. They didn't create many chances themselves and it was uh, a goal from a set piece, as has been the case recently uh, by one of the centre-backs that, that ends up giving them such an important three points. Um, given Rotherham's slip-up, this was uh, an essential win for them to to keep the pressure on uh, and getting over the line is, you know, they're, they're going to play better uh, between now and the end of the season. And I guess it just shows their players they don't have to dominate teams and dominate even the ball necessarily uh, in order to, to win games. So in terms of significance, I'd say it's one of the biggest wins of MK Dons' season, uh, even if it's not one of the best performances. It's an unbelievable run they're on. I believe it's the longest current unbeaten streak in the top four tiers, uh, 12 games. And it's not even one of those unbeaten runs that uh, I'll talk about quite a lot, even though it might be heavily weighted towards draws and the actual points return isn't that good. It's nine wins and three draws in, in 12 games, 30 points in 12 games. Absolutely brilliant. And it makes that battle for automatic promotion even spicier, which I really like. Uh, another great day for Plymouth Argyle. George, 4-0 winners uh, at home to Aki. Other results going their way as well. They're, they're on a five-match winning streak without conceding. They've put themselves in a really, really strong position in terms of making the top six. Uh, happy days at home park once again. Yeah, they, they you know, they could have 
Uh, I know it's your least favorite thing to say, but they could have won this by any score. Basically, they they batted Accrington. Um, didn't help Accrington that, that Toby Savin, uh, who's had such a good season, had a bit of a moment of madness and, and decided to. I mean, it was one of the most pathetic little rugby tackles you're going to see, but it was enough to to see him sent off. But the game had already gone. Um, Plymouth were already three 0 up, uh, and they they chop and change those front positions so often, but it doesn't matter because. Um, whoever they play seems to score. You know they started with Garrick and, and Hardy up front this time, uh, with Ennis coming off the bench. Four minutes after Ennis comes off the bench, he scores a brilliant goal. Jeffcoat doesn't even get off. That is, for me, that their biggest strength at the moment is how they're able to to rotate between those front men uh, at a time where there are so many games. Yes, they've won five in a row. Yes, they've scored ten goals and kept five clean sheets. But their fixtures. I mean, there are two teams basically currently in the top six who have unbelievably hard fixtures and I know we're probably not going to talk about the Oxford Ipswich game because it was a draw so those are the two sides you know the the, the next game between those two uh, on the 2nd of April is massive where Oxford travel to home park Um, oh no sorry that's that's in a couple of weeks but Plymouth basically Plymouth's game is coming up they've got Cheltenham at home which is you know probably the the simplest and then Ipswich away Oxford at home Burton away Wickham away Sunderland at home Wigan away MK Dons at home um, they're basically playing all the teams around them. Now, an optimist would say it gives you an opportunity to take points off those around you. I, I totally disagree. I think when you're in the position Plymouth are in, you want to have had your, your tough games gone and you want to be able to to play against the, the poorest sides in the division. Oxford similarly have Plymouth and Morecambe away, followed by uh, Sunderland at home, Fleetwood away, MK Dons at home, Rotherham away, Donny at home. I mean, Oxford's you think should be a little bit simpler because they've got Doncaster, Fleetwood and Morecambe in amongst it. Uh, but, you know, if they if they take nine points from those games and lose the others, they're probably going to fall out of it because the team's taking points off them. So Argyle looked to me to be the most vulnerable in terms of not in any way because of their performances, because they're playing so well. And, you know, and we've seen them the last couple of weeks beat Bolton away, beat Portsmouth at home, thrash Accrington. So they've got nothing to fear. Um but it's not as easy as looking at the table, seeing them in fourth, seeing the gap and thinking, okay, they're, they're nearly there now. Because, um, you know, if we were to, which is something we, me and you are keen to do, if you were to have a table that accurately showed um, the table based, you know, waiting in difficulty of fixtures, um, I think Plymouth's fourth position might come down one or two spots. At the same time, Sunderland and Sheffield Wednesday played against teams in the bottom eight, and neither of them won, uh, which was massively in in Argyle's favour. Mm. Uh, favour. It sounded like Sunderland were comfortably the better side at Lincoln. I saw someone say that it, it might have been their best team performance under they Alex O'Neill, but um, yeah, yeah. couldn't Alex get Alex O'Neill. Alex O'Neill, <laughs> Alex Neil, but couldn't get over the line. Uh, whereas Sheffield Wednesday fans seemed very underwhelmed by their performance away at Gillingham. Yeah. Um, absolutely not the sort of dominant performance that they wanted from that. We're going to come back to Jill's in, in just a second because it was a it was a big day for them in terms of a shift in league position. Uh, but just sticking around the playoff picture, Pompey nil, Wickham nil. Um, from seeing your analysis of this on Quest, which centred around the performance of Pompey's on loan City goalkeeper Gavin Bazunu, it felt like Wickham were uh, the, the stronger side here at Fratton Park. So impressive performance from them. Um, and then Ipswich won. Oxford won, or rather Oxford won, Ipswich won. I do just want to touch on this one, George, because that goal from Luke McNally was very, very significant, not just for mm. Oxford United, but 
um, for Ipswich uh, just before he scored with Ipswich 1-0 up with Sheffield Wednesday drawing, Sunderland drawing, Pompey and Wickham drawing uh, and Oxford obviously losing to them at that moment in time. It felt like things were, were set up quite nicely and everything in their favour. But as soon as that goal goes in, you check the league table, there's six points off it, there's seven games to go. Despite all the good things we've said about Ipswich and Kieran McKenna, it just feels like they might run out of runway here. Yeah, it does. I mean, going into this game, it's certainly that the narrative is all Ipswich need to win to save their season. Um, and possibly results elsewhere might mean that's not true. You know, we talk about you know, they played Oxford, so clearly Oxford not getting the three points. Sunderland not managing to turn their dominance into a win against Lincoln. Sheffield Wednesday dropping points against Gillingham. Um, you know, all of this stuff means that they didn't lose any ground on anyone. And I know that both you and I are pretty sweet on this Ipswich side. And, and as I said in the betting show, which turned out to, to basically be true again, Ipswich go into pretty much every single League One team, in my view, is, is the most likely to, to to win, is the most likely to be the dominant force. We often see teams go on, on these runs that puts them in a good position. And even though six points feels like a lot now with, what is it, seven games to go, I mean, I, I'm, I would not put it past Ipswich to win at least five or six of those. I'm not saying they will, but they certainly are good enough to do that. So I, whether or not they get in, I'm not necessarily sure. But given how good they are at keeping teams at bay, even though I felt like Oxford probably put in the best performance for one half <laughs> against Kieran McKenna's Ipswich, where they created plenty of chances, Ipswich barely fashioned anything of a chance. Whereas in the second half, Oxford were abysmal uh, and Ipswich were by far the better side. Um I think there will come a time between now and the end of the season where Ipswich fans are are very much believing again that they can do it. Exciting. That would be exciting because I'm I'm ready to write them and Pompey off after this weekend, but I won't do that but just you know, yet. But with with Ipswich, do you not think I mean it, it does so they have seven games left. They'd probably need what five wins five wins getting fifteen points. We put them I mean, or do, do, do they need 80? Don't try and do the maths as we record, mate. We could be here for a while. Well, no, but, but, I, yeah. I, but I, all I'm saying is that given how consistently good they are, it doesn't take, you know, I'm not saying it's a higher chance than a couple of a percent, but at this stage, it, it, it's not much. It's like back to that wins puts them back in the conversation. And that's all I'm saying is going to happen. You know, I'm not saying they're going to get there, but I think there's, as I say, going to be a time between now and the end of the season where they will... You know, if you're going to write them off now, you might have to get your, your ink eraser out and, and get rid of that line. Down at the bottom, it feels like the key result was Cheltenham 3, Wimbledon 1, uh, because coupled with Jills's excellent point against Wednesday, it means that they flip places. Gillingham now above the relegation zone and Wimbledon uh, on this unbelievably long winless run. Uh, lose again, having taken the lead in the game as well. And finally, uh, their head goes beneath the relegation zone water. I, I wonder whether to try and spin it into a positive, because there's almost no positives when it comes to talking about Dons right now, psychologically could be a, a good thing, or at least could be a ch- could make a change. You know, becoming the, the hunter rather than the hunted is what we always cling to. Is that the sort of thing you'd buy into? Or uh, do you just need to see better performances before you'd say uh, say something like that? Well, I think we'd have to see something first before we say it's a positive. I mean, I think the negative here psychologically is that they were 1-0 up with 10 minutes to go and lost the game 3-1. Um, the, the first goal, I, I implore you to watch uh, watch the first goal back further because um, it comes from one of the most ridiculous goal scrambles at the other end. 
uh, before the uh, before Zanev starts the move that um, five seconds later results in the goal. It's a proper, you know, they could and should have been one nil down and ten minutes later, sorry, ten seconds later they're one nil up, um, and they weren't able to hold on to it against the side in Cheltenham who are, who are playing for, for very little, even though the, the reaction from the fans and the players um, certainly didn't look like a side who were playing for very little. Um, but I think being 1-0 up for that period of time, managing the game pretty well, and then conceding three goals in 10 minutes is going to be very hard to bounce back from. And um, Mark Robinson's interview after the game, you know, he said it's very hard for him to, to look at the game because emotions are running so high, which I can understand. It must have been very, very difficult to come to terms with um, dropping into the relegation zone in that fashion. So Morecambe and Wimbledon, if anyone, most likely to get out of it from this point. Uh, Doncaster and Fleetwood drew nil-nil, which wasn't hugely helpful for either side, I would suggest. Um, w- did either team show more uh, in that game between Fleetwood and Doncaster? Is there anything to take away from that nil-all draw? Not really. He's shaking um, his head. He's, he's shaking his head, so we'll move just on. A it, it just bad, meant, it, bad game. It did, meant, it did mean that Fleetwood broke their run of, uh, of defeats, but you can't imagine the fans would have been hugely happy to draw uh, at home to one of the worst teams uh, in the division, and they're still very vulnerable themselves, and Gillingham on 34, uh, Wimbledon and Morecambe on 33 and 32. Gillingham and Morecambe have played 39, Fleetwood and Wimbledon have played 38, so plenty still more to play out down at the bottom of League One. Uh, some beach action. Uh, I'm I'm calling crew on the beach now because I think there's zero chance of them staying up and they lost late to a Bolton side who similarly as much as we've been excited about their form in the second half of the season probably are going to run out of games as well to to get above well the amount of teams they need to get above to get into the top six but it was an injury time winner from Bakayoko whose form over the last few months has been really exciting Uh, and then Charlton beating Burton 2-0 this one was real beach vibes The, the team now in 15th Charlton beating the team in 14th uh, and a very beachy opening goal as well with uh, McGillivray claiming a, a, a flick on from a long throw uh, and Washington getting on his bike. Burton just leaving no one back from it. Washington outpacing the defender. Uh, it was it was like it was like an NFL play. It was like a quarterback throwing to a wide receiver uh, and uh, Washington received it with glee and finished uh, over the Burton keeper. 2-0 win for Charlton. Uh, big victory for Johnny Jackson. That's two wins in a row for them. Uh, a positive week or so after such a tough few months. In League Two... Well, we know it's an absolute, well, it's just carnage at the top of League Two, isn't it? Um, and trying to come up with conclusions every Monday is a bit of a mugs game. So what we'll do instead, oh my God, I've just seen there's three teams with the exact same record. Northampton, Bristol Rovers and Tranmere, 38 games played, 18 wins, 9 draws, 11 defeats. Northampton plus 12, Bristol Rovers and Tranmere plus 11. Absolutely crazy. Good place to start because those records are the same very specifically because Bristol Rovers went to Northampton and left 1-0 winners. Four wins in a row. Joey Barton's side now in fourth position. George, there's something quite nice about a 1-0 win when the goal comes in the first minute. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I think this kind of summed up. Um, if you could pick a hole in, in, in Cobblers, this would be it where you probably should take it to the Cobblers. Um, where... <laughs> where Rissa Rovers took the lead within a minute and then Northampton had had um, seven shots in the game. Horseful hit, coming closest, hitting the woodwork um, from a set piece. But that's it. I mean, Northampton are, are so solid defensively. I mean, Horsfall made the mistake for the goal. Uh, he you know, has been a such a consistent player at both ends for them, but he it was his mistake that led to the Stevenage penalty uh, last Saturday and then, and then his mistake led to the goal here. Um, but for, you know, for... After that, to be unable at home to put any pressure on a side who are basically sitting in and looking to frustrate 
um, is where they come undone because they're, you know, they are such a team who are based so reliant on their good defensive record, which is obviously important, but also their proficiency from set pieces so that when they're one nil up <laughs> so when they're one nil down for 89 minutes at home they can't really fashion a way to to create too much that is an issue um and i think it could be an issue if they get into the playoffs but for bristol rovers and for joey barton um you know a lot of noise around him at the moment i i think we we'd better um steer clear of that stuff for now until um you know until there's more comes out um but you know clearly for 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 them and for him um it's uh, very different what's going on on and off the field let's say where bristle rovers on the pitch are looking like probably the best team in the division right now and and it seems like there's going to be little to stop them crashing the top three party uh, as it stands at the moment um whether off field issues catch up with them in that respect we're going to have to wait and see they've got very very tough running uh, and again it comes back to that discussion of well you know, if they're good enough to be beating teams like Northampton, who they're vying for automatic promotion with, then it's no bad thing to be having tough games. But overall, you probably wouldn't want to have the the toughest run in of of the top well of the top ten really, which I think is, uh, in, if you look at the the points per game for for their remaining opponents, I think Bristol Rovers and Port Vale have the toughest run in. Uh, vale did themselves some real favours here, winning at Bradford. George, it, it's been a, a good uh, few weeks for Vale. Just when I thought I was out. They dragged me back in three wins in a row. What was the story of this one at Bradford? Um, Garrity, why is Garrity always scores? He scores loads, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, I mean, and this is all the more impressive given how Bradford have been playing under Mark Hughes recently. Um, you know, it was, it was a Garrity's goal, ironically, although a bit of tenuous came from one of the worst volleys you're ever going to see from uh, from the Bradford centre back, which diverted. Uh, into his path but it was you know it was, it was pretty good I, I think given what's been going on you know we don't talk too much about our field stuff but Daryl Clark is clearly going through a very difficult time and he's still on a leave of absence at the moment um Andy Crosby's in temporary charge and, and Port Vale understandably had been really struggling um since Daryl Clark hadn't been at the club so for them to suddenly turn that around and, and go and beat three teams three teams who all three of them are in really good nick when they come up against them Crawley Mansfield and Bradford and to beat them 4-1 3-1 and 2-1 uh, is is the kind of form that really throws the cat amongst the pigeons and when you look at the league two table the two jokers in the pack are certainly Port Vale and, and Mansfield who are who are eighth and, and tenth as it stands at the moment both outside the playoff picture but both in the kind of form and with the amount of games in hand that means that you know, they're, they're much more likely to finish in the top seven than some of those teams who are in at the moment and, and have, will have a massive say in that top three. You know, we look at the Northampton, Bristol Rovers, Tranmere, all three of them with the same records, currently occupying third, fourth and fifth. Well, there's an argument to say that they're actually a bit lower in Port Vale and Mansfield are the, are the, are the side sitting in between Fort Forest Green and Exeter and the rest of them, given um, the, their games that they've got. So it's hard to make sense of, um, but... Port Vale, good value for their win um, and, and definitely look to be hitting form at, at a pretty good time. A bit more straightforward were wins for Exeter against Oldham and Salford smashing Scunthorpe. Uh, Salford just on the periphery of this conversation about teams trying to get into the playoff places. This win certainly wouldn't have done them any harm. And, and Thomas Asante, the only hat-trick in Hattie. the EFL this weekend. Lovely performance from a lovely player. Great player. Great. Yeah, I mean, the, the goal's... Um, 
Is yeah, it quite funny that decent. despite how many players Salford had signed over the last few seasons, it's a guy that they signed initially to be part of their new development squad a few years ago, who's <laughs> now basically their best player? Yeah, I mean, he's. I think he's one of the most exciting players in the league, really. Um, I, I, I do think, and I've said it before, I think Matt Smith has had a, has had a transformative effect on the Salford side. Unsurprisingly, you know, he's a he's probably a championship level striker um, who can dominate in the air against championship level defenders suddenly playing in League Two. And it, it's no coincidence that his arrival in the first team has coincided with, I mean, I can't say coincided if it's no coincidence. It's no coincidence <laughs> that, his, that his, uh, his arrival in the first team has has led to a a, a spell of form for Salford that, that puts him massively in the playoff picture. Um, you know, the ball sticks up front for a player like Thomas Asante to play off him um, is is massive. So, um, yeah, it was. I mean, Scunthorpe are clearly aside, um, just dropping into um, non-league. Sadly, there's and there's no saving them. I might be sitting on the fence in terms of promoting relegating sides, but with Scunthorpe, they are they are as good as down. Um, uh, Oldham two 0 winners are all. Uh, sorry, Oldham, Oldham two 0 losers. Two 0 losers against Exeter. Cameron Dawson with a, a big penalty save here at 1-0. Mm. Um, Exeter then getting their second in injury time with Big Giovanni. Uh, lovely player that he is. Jake Caprice with both of their assists. So those are the teams towards the top who had a good weekend. An okay weekend for Sutton and Tranmere, really. I don't think a draw between those two sides is a, is a horrendous result. Um, Harrogate and Walsall drew in the beach section of the table. Uh, and then a, a poor weekend, you have to say, if we're looking at the top specifically, for Newport who lost on Friday night 3-2 to Hartlepool, uh, and for Swindon, George, who lost 3-1 away at Crawley. But why don't you tell me about Crawley 3, Swindon 1? Because I actually watched Hartlepool-Newport on Friday night. That's one of the few games I can talk on with Ooh, some authority. Exciting. Um, I mean, there's not really much to say with, with the Crawley-Swindon. Uh, you know, Swindon had loads of the ball. They created quite a few chances. They were pretty wasteful in front of goal. Uh, McCurdy with his customary eight shots, um, but none of them going in. And Crawley just scored three fairly simple goals, all from crosses, all from close range. Nichols, Zapaya and Hutchinson getting the three. Um, it was a lovely goal of Davison's for, for Swindon, although I'm not entirely sure what, what Glenn Morris was doing um, in the goal. It was, a, it was a great run through ball uh, from Johnny Williams, and but Morris quite clearly should have come and got it, but decided to stay on his line and Davison nipped in and scored. Um, but yeah, frustration for Swindon. I mean, Swindon, that's the crazy thing about League Two is that Swindon have, have, have won six of their last nine and they're still in seventh. Um you know, it feels like even the slightest blink, the slightest slip in this absolute mess of a of a top half um, is enough to send you to send you dropping down the league. Damn right, Newport at home to Hartlepool on Friday night, looking to lay down a marker uh, and and get three points to kick off the weekend, put the pressure on the teams around them. They've been in good form recently, haven't they? Loving life under James Robry, but didn't have it their own way. I, I, it's a strange one, this because. The game started with a real lack of intensity. I think both teams were slightly fatigued from their midweek exertions. Um, and it, it felt like Hartlepool were having it a lot easier than maybe they expected to. They were able to move the ball into Newport's defensive third very, very easily. That's because Newport were playing a sort of 4-2-2-2 with Azaz and Cooper um, as the attacking midfielders. And while they did drift out wide at times, it, there wasn't really much coverage Newport out wide apart from their fullbacks Haynes and Norman. So Sterry and Ferguson, the wingbacks for Hartlepool, just 
basically just carried it into the final third at will. And and even there and then, it didn't feel like Newport were really closing gaps or picking up their men. And quite early on, it felt like if if Hartlepool realised the opportunity they had here, then they could then they could really hurt Newport. As it was, uh, Newport took the lead, very innocuous uh, own goal. Unfortunate for Omar Bogle, just hit him on the back of the head when he was sort of grappling with a defender in the middle from a set piece. Uh, but Hartlepool just cracked on with it, and and by halftime they were two one up. Um, they've got a really exciting right-hand side partnership between Sterry, the right wing back, who listens to the pod. No, I'm a big fan of. I just think he's he's not a very frilly wing back. Put it that way. There's a lot of others uh, at this level who might catch the eye a bit more with with speed and dribbling ability and being able to beat a man. But I think Sterry is one of the most effective players I've seen in League Two. Just always seems to make good decisions to move into dangerous areas. Scored a really, really good goal with a brilliant first touch and, and smashed it in. And then Molyneux, who when we saw Hartlepool play at Sutton early in the season, I didn't really get him. I thought he looked like a real luxury player. Um, clearly, you know, a lovely left foot, but I wasn't sure he was really impacting things that much in the final third. But he's really kicked on. The last few months, he's looked excellent. Uh, he scored some good goals and he, and he scored a good one here. He was drifting all over and Newport didn't really know how to how to keep track of him. So Hartlepool 2-1 up at half-time, deservedly so. And Newport just didn't really respond in, in the manner that you'd want. Um, Roby made a few changes and they did get level. Rob Street finishing after a good bit of play from James Waite. But just two minutes later again, Hartlepool were like, oh, OK, you're taking this semi-seriously now. Well, let's just get back ahead. And they did so through Burns. So I was really impressed with Hartlepool. Um, a real, yeah, it was good to watch them um, under Graham Lee and understand how he's approaching things because it was a difficult situation for him walking in after Challenger's departure. But I think some real, uh, yeah, some stuff to be pretty excited about ahead of next season for, for Hartlepool based on that performance. As for Newport, I think they just needed a bit of a rest. They looked slightly out of ideas, very, very fatigued. And I would hope that this won't be the sort of performance level they'll be putting in for the rest of the season. And I'd be confident that they can avoid that in the future but it was not a good weekend for them that's for sure good weekend for Leighton Orient and Richie Wellens got his first win as Orient manager from behind uh, Rochdale taking the lead early on in this game but then a Smith screamer uh, Rural Sotiriu who seems to be uh, carving out a nice niche in, in Wellens's Swindon Town has always looked like he's, he's had an eye for goal and Harry Smith getting on the score sheet. Uh, goals have been few and far between for him in the last few months, haven't they, after such a strong start to the season. So a uh, good win for Leighton. Orient could start to Wellens's reign, you'd say. Uh, down at the bottom, there was really just one big fixture, and it was Barrow against Carlisle. No love loss between the two teams, George. And in the end, well... Simpsons Carlisle gleefully left with all three points and, and the sense from Barrow fans was was that of anger that their team had, had just not turned up really for the biggest game of their season so far. One that mattered way more for them in terms of uh, in terms of points and league position really with Carlisle looking well out of it. Uh, it spelled the end of Mark Cooper. He's been sacked at Barrow on Sunday. Yeah, this is a big game. Uh, it was annoying we couldn't talk about it on Saturday because of time, but uh, you know, clearly a Cumbrian derby. And for, for Carlisle in their upper mobility under Paul Simpson, uh, significant to go to Barrow um, and, and to beat them 2-1 because um, and, and I think Carlisle just show that how quickly things can change if you can put a run of a run of wins together. Um, you know, if I told you six games ago that, that Carlisle were going to be where they were, you'd have told me there was absolutely no chance. And that's why making sweeping conclusions at this stage of a season um, can, can see you come unstuck because... It's unpredictable and teams can go on these runs and, and what he's doing is, is incredible. Can you be manager of the season when you were appointed in February? Probably not, but um, he, he wouldn't fall far short. For Barrow and for Mark Cooper, you know, it was a big stance of mine. Uh, the start of the season was that people were under, underestimating Barrow and what they were doing. I, I still believe that. I still believe that Barrow 
in terms of their budget and their expectations um, had their sights on a playoff finish rather than a relegation scrap, irrespective of what you think of the size of the club. And therefore, for Mark Cooper to have them as low as they are and for him to have behaved the way that he behaved on the touchline, um, I think Barrow are a better club uh, and are better off without their manager. But given their ambition and given the investment they've put into the playing side, it wouldn't surprise me if their appointment um, is maybe a bit more impressive than people would expect. Interesting. Well, that's one to watch. They, they were the last team uh, in the League Two relegation picture to, to make a change, to, to hop on the uh, managerial merry-go-round down at the bottom of League Two, but they have done so now. We'll wait and see who they appoint. They have got a six-point gap between themselves and Oldham in that 23rd spot. Uh, Oldham with a game in hand, but of course Oldham... <laughs> no, I've just seen who the favourite is. Who's the favourite? Phil Brown. Brownie! Can I take it back? Great experience at the level. <laughs> Well, we'll wait and see uh, how that goes. Steve Evans is in at Stevenage. Uh, they didn't play this weekend because... Stevenage Evans. Yes, indeed. Stevenage Evans uh, out of action due to a COVID outbreak at the at the club. A real throwback to a few months ago, that. Um, so their fixture against Mansfield did not go ahead. But um, what do you make of Paul Tisdale being sacked at Stevenage? Steve Evans coming in at Stevenage. Uh, I know that he is not everyone's cup of tea. I see this as a massive upgrade and a bit of a coup, to use a phrase that you like to use. Yeah, so do I. Um, I think Paul Tisdale, um, his his star has somewhat fallen. Um, and I think Steve Evans stuff suffers mainly by his own uh, doing of a bit of a PR problem. But there's no getting away from from what he's done in the past. You know, the Gillingham job wasn't a good one. Um, yeah. I still, I would. It sounds ridiculous given that he left them on the precipice mm. of relegation. I still think with managers like you can look at the, the probably the first eighteen months is more important when you're judging a tenure than the last few months. And what he did in the first two seasons at Gillingham, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Is undeniably that's fair. punching way above their weight with a ridiculously bad squad for that level. The fact that he then struggled this season, I don't think makes it a bad job done at Gillingham personally. No, that's that's probably fair. That's probably fair. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. He, he's he's an upgrade. It'll be interesting to see. I'm looking forward to um, their their summer business if they do stay up. I, I assume. Well, I'll, I'll be intrigued to know if he's still there. Um, if if they do get relegated, um, but I'm inclined to think that I'm with you. Um, it's a, it's an upgrade on what they've had before. Well, I mean, a lot hinges on Oldham Athletic because I'm still clinging to the fact that they're not playing that badly. But four defeats in a row. Uh, has mm. somewhat uh, I agree. squashed I agree. their momentum. Still plenty of games left, including Stevenage against Oldham uh, on the 2nd of April. That'll be a massive, massive game. Stevenage have also got uh, Colchester, Rochdale, Scunthorpe and Carlisle to play. All of those teams in the, the bottom chunk of the table. So um, Stevenage with a chance to, to pull clear if they can get a little managerial bounce from, uh, from the bouncing Steve Evans. Uh, we'll see how we go. Guys, thank you for listening. George... Thank you very much. Thank you, mate. Thank you. You're a great man. I'm, I'm glad that you are through COVID and out the other end. That was an astonishing performance from you. I'm I'm in awe of you. I'm going to get a celebratory haircut. Because oh. anyone who watched Quest will know that I need it. <laughs> well deserved. Well deserved. Well, it was going to take more than uh, a, a bit of viral action to stop the pod. Uh, I don't think we've missed a show on a Monday during a football season for about three years now. And that was not going to happen today. So uh, apologies for my lack of input. But hopefully you guys have enjoyed listening to George break down what was a fascinating weekend. Aren't they all? In the EFL, this podcast has been sponsored by Betfair. We thank them massively for their support of it. And of course, we'll be back again on Thursday. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and for all your continued support of this podcast. It does not go unappreciated. Have a great week.
go well.